Have you ever sat down and thought that you were supposed to start a podcast? Have you ever wondered how you're going to do that and how that will work? Anchor.fm is the link where this podcast is recorded. It is so helpful, so easy to do. Now, come on, people. If I can do it, y'all can do it. I'm telling you what. So (laughs) go to anchor.fm, start your podcast, and follow what God is calling you to do. Thank you for joining me for season 11 of the Anchored by the Sword podcast. This season, you may hear one episode a week. You might hear two. Just kind of depends. I have so many great guests that you do not want to miss them. Each one brings a brand new perspective on freedom, a new perspective on God and their relationship with Him, and also so many great projects coming up. We hit a major milestone this past season of 5,000 downloads. And that is due to each and every one of you for tuning in every week. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing that and for sharing this podcast with your friends. Let's continue to watch God move. Let's continue to give him the glory for the freedoms that we have experienced or will experience. And if you need today to understand more about God and more about his freedom, then tune into this episode and message me and let's go on this journey together. Thank you for listening. Enjoy this episode. Hey guys, welcome to a new episode of the Anchored by the Sword podcast. I am so excited today to introduce you guys to a new friend. This is Meredith Miller. She has a book that has come out this week called Woven, Nurturing a Faith Your Kid Doesn't Have to Heal From. So I'm excited to get to know more about her, her book, all of the things. So Meredith, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Can you tell my listeners more about yourself? Yes. uh, So I'm Meredith Miller and I call Southern California home, have for almost all my life, minus five years where we lived in Chicago. And um, I am a pastor and a parent to an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old. And we are a family that is church planting and spends a lot of time at Disneyland and gets (laughs) to the beach a lot. And um, I have worked with kids a lot of my career. So I started quite young. Like the first lesson I taught kids, I was 16 in our fourth to sixth grade room. And so now I'm coming up on over 20 years of spending a lot of my vocational ministry time with kids and families. Mm -hmm. And that has been just a ton of fun. It's also included um, some time with some research organizations, specifically the Fuller Youth Institute that um, looks at young people and faith formation. Mm -hmm. And so all of that is kind of how I've gotten to this season of life and ministry um, after sort of a whole trek of growing up in it. So it's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to dive more into some of the stuff that you learned during research and um, how that can help all of us who have children in our lives um, with their faith. So I can't wait to dig more into that. So let's talk about your personal freedom story. Yeah. um, Well, I grew up in the love of Jesus in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And that meant that I had a family of origin that just loved Jesus. I had a church that 
really understood what it meant to love well and to embrace joy as part Mm -hmm. of our faith. And so that original experience, those young years of just knowing God's love through the people around me who knew it and and lived in freedom Mm -hmm. was huge for me. And so when I think about what God has done, I can look to my teen years as a time when I really wanted to please God. Mm-hmm. And I put myself into what I think would be a lot of self-inflicted bondage over it, mm-hmm. which was such a strange thing that this idea that this God you love is actually creating a sense of losing life, really, because you're fretting so much mm-hmm. about getting it just right. Um, and I had a season of just a lot of years in the middle there where I always thought I had to get myself together, try mm-hmm. harder, do more. I would try to hide from God fundamentally until I got it together mm-hmm. and then sort of show back up as if that worked. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a time when I think I lost sight of God's consistent, both grace and fondness for us. Mm-hmm. It made me really tired, <laughs> really tired. Mm-hmm. Um, like at a soul level, you know, um, And when I, so when I think about freedom stories, a lot of it is this time of growing up and meeting God again, Mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, I don't know if God's like that after all. I wonder Mm -hmm. if I've misunderstood some really important things about who God is. And it's that misunderstanding that has put me in this place of exhaustion and fear. Mm -hmm. Um, And that workout, that's, that's kind of the, the broad brush strokes for me when I really reflect on it. How did you become free from that? I think it was a longer process than I wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. Right. When I look at where things felt stuck, it was a lot of years and a lot of of being in a cycle, Mm -hmm. try hard to do better and show up and have energy for it for as long as I can until I don't. And then Mm -hmm. you quit and then you hide and then you try harder to do better round and round. Mm -hmm. And especially because a lot of that season I was younger, I think that there were some really well-meaning adults in my life who Mm -hmm. didn't realize that in their desire to help young people know Jesus, they had made it uh, a task list, Mm -hmm. but they weren't trying to, but that often meant I didn't feel like I had anyone to talk to. I thought Mm -hmm. I was doing what I was supposed to do. However, they communicated it. I heard them saying I should be doing this thing Mm -hmm. I was doing. So I can't circle back to them to say, guys, this feels like it's not working. And I feel really sad (laughs) a lot of the time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I felt very alone for a long time. And the the coming out of it, for me, a lot of the freedom started in my college years Mm -hmm. with professors. Mm -hmm. I think one of the neat things that some of the scholarly folks in our faith community can offer is that they sort of step back and look at scripture in different ways Mm -hmm. than maybe the highly emotional (laughs) church space I had been in. Right. And and I needed that. I needed someone Mm -hmm. who was okay with the Bible being less tidy and Mm -hmm. someone who had read more chunks of scripture. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of my habits had been these tiny verses that I'm trying to live out just right. And these professors who've read the story of scripture as a big story and they watch Mm -hmm. God through all of it. That was a big part of starting to be 
able to trust that maybe God is not just the way I've made God out to be in my mind, that maybe mm-hmm. I got a bit wrong. And they were really helpful to me in terms of not being afraid that if I came to understand God in new ways, that was not going to be something that would lead me astray or that God would be mad at me for, like, Mm -hmm. how dare you take me out of that box? (laughs) Um, And so for me, a lot of it was classroom space. I'm just kind of nerdy that way. I really Mm -hmm. liked classrooms. I found it very enriching to my faith, but I also had never been in a space where the idea of study as a spiritual practice was Mm -hmm. sort of honored. Um, I also look at that as a time where they were ones to say that God meets us in lots and lots of ways. Mm -hmm. And I think up until that point, I had been, I had been caught, caught or taught. I'm not sure that God really most of all likes when you do a certain set of practices. Yeah. Like God really mostly wants me to do a quiet time every morning and any other spaces that I might experience God's love or participate with God in the world. That's like extra credit. It's like bonus points, but it's not like really your faith stuff mm-hmm. unless you had your quiet time already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, a lot of freedom came from trusting the spirit of God when God shows up in more spaces when you're out in nature and it reminds you of a psalm but you're not having a whole big quiet time where you then go read that psalm or write it out in a pretty way or put it in a journal you just think Mm -hmm. oh yeah kind of reminds me of that Mm -hmm. and that that counts that actually counts Mm -hmm. um i needed more practices to connect with god that counted Mm -hmm. and the more i tried them and just went to see what would happen and trusted that god was going to be there that's where freedom started to break through. But again, I look and I feel like that was years. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was five, six, seven years of just reorienting my faith around the idea that God is in the whole world and that what I'll see in scripture will come out in all kinds of ways and that I don't have to only do it one way for it to count anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's so important because I know there's the terms deconstruction and reconstruction and all those terms now. And people want to put those things in a bad light. And Mm -hmm. it's not always in a bad light. It's not necessarily in a bad light because you were taught all these almost like a legalistic type thing, which Mm -hmm. a lot of us have come out of and, you know, the set of rules and the set of, you know, if you cuss today, you, you know, you're you on a tight road. in your right. morning kind of quiet time the very right. next day right you better you better be careful about that which we you know we should still honor god and all that kind of stuff and that's you know it doesn't take away from that but i think deconstructing can be a good thing when you're trying to figure out your own faith and trying yeah. to figure out your personal walk with god because it's not going to look the same for everybody it's not going to look the same for our parents as it does for us for our kids as it is for us And I think that's so important. And it's hard though. It's really hard to come out of that. Yeah. Because while you might be revisiting these ideas about how faith might work or how you might walk with God, you're going to have some people around you who will not see that journey the way you might want to be seen or might Mm -hmm. have opinions from the outside. Right. And especially if those are people that you trust, care for, you know, that 
that that idea that you're going through a process of getting to know God in new ways, I think anytime that change is happening or you're mm -hmm. asking those kinds of questions, you're also inviting other people's sort of opinions into the mix. Mm -hmm. And then, and then there's a discernment layer of like, how right. do I really hear the spirit of God? Um, and, and also continue to try to be connected to other folks and not right. isolate myself out in the process. Right. It could get really lonely if the people around you have made it harder, not easier, mm -hmm. right? Like there's a version where the people around you share the load of like, these are good questions right. or this is a great process or yeah, you can take your time in that. They like mm -hmm. can walk with you into the freedom, but yeah. if they don't, it can feel really lonesome. Mm -hmm. um, and sort of a sense of like, okay, am I, am I okay? Am I okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um I think that's where the non-judgment comes in. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when you were talking about going on a walk and doing all those things and finding God during the walk, you know, some people be like, Oh, you found God in the trees? No. It's like, no, I didn't find God in the trees. God is the right. one who made the trees. Yeah. So being out in the areas and the things that he created is bringing a new focus and a new way of seeing him. Right. Yep. So, Cause it reminds you of things like the trees of the field will clap their hands. Right. And this idea of like, how does creation honor God, even as it doesn't mm -hmm. produce anything when we mm -hmm. live in a culture where everything's about what you produce. Yeah. Where part of, I think what a legalistic faith often looks like is that you are producing for God every day, mm -hmm. yeah. a certain amount of things you think that that is what it is to be a good Christian. Mm -hmm. And so it's exactly that it's letting the, your whole life be connected to God. Absolutely. And getting a little less compartmentalized about <laughs> faith being only this one way or in these certain spaces and right. so on. Right. Absolutely. And, and you know, the, the things, the practices are all good. The quiet times, the prayers, the fasting, all of it's good. And it's not just saying that there's only one way to do it. Yep. If you happen to read your Bible at night, it's okay. Like you find the time when it's best for you. Because if you are someone who is like me and likes my sleep, I will probably read at night. Whereas somebody yep. who gets up at like four or five o'clock in the morning when they have to be at work at eight, you know, and does all the things, they might be different. So I think that's yep. definitely a part of discovering your own personal faith walk. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's a book that's been out for a long time now called Sacred Pathways. Mm -hmm. And it's right. That idea of what is it to have a broad understanding of how you live your life in ways that connect with God. Mm -hmm. And I found it at a time when it was exactly that I had been a, a before bed scripture person like that right. had been a really good fit. And then my schedule changed radically and I couldn't anymore because I needed to sleep. Yeah. And I couldn't figure out where to put that practice. Yeah. And I didn't have other like tools in the tool belt at the time. And that mm -hmm. book was the one that began to say like, here's, it's like a whole batch of tools that you mm -hmm. can be working with. Mm -hmm. And that was really novel to me at the time. You know, it's, mm -hmm. the book's been around for decades now, but it's exactly that, that there are like lots of ways that we can engage intentionally in meeting God. And that lots of ways was a big part of what, where freedom came from was mm -hmm. there are lots of ways they right. count. They're not extra credit. If I only, you know, if I can force myself to do these other ones only. Mm -hmm. um, and in the midst of that, finding 
God showing up mm-hmm. in all those new, new to me ways. Right. Right. And coming off of that, how have you seen God move in those ways, not just for your life, but also now the life of your family? Oh, I think now when I consider like the family life we've been doing together this last decade, since I had kids, we are much more in like a rhythm of life, Mm -hmm. which think about a practice that is not remotely new at all is but I think we do something much more like rhythm of life that we mm-hmm. have. Here's who God is. How do we echo that imperfectly mm-hmm. in ways that are joyful and sustainable? Mm-hmm. And so we have rhythms as a family of like we do family Sabbath and that has looked lots of different ways, uh, depending on the age and season of our kids, where we lived resources and so on. And so we have this value of a God who's given us rest But the form our Sabbath has taken has been really flexible over the last decade Mm -hmm. while still being a very intentional practice. And when I think about that shifting and how it looked like going to the city in Chicago when my kids were two and three and being at like the zoo and we had to get out because two and three was a time when, especially in a place with winter, where it was like, oh, we got to Sabbath. Rest means we go out into the world and enjoy Mm -hmm. it. Yes. Whereas now we might just as likely grab a bunch of board games and stay in because they are now at an age where that could be like a rest and play kind of connection sort of practice. So mm-hmm. the, the idea that we flexed in big ways and yet here's the thing we're holding on to and, and the reason we find that God has given it to us, mm-hmm. that is feeling really fun <laughs> and really life-giving for all of us, I think. And I, mm-hmm. I appreciate what it is also teaching my kids about God and mm-hmm. that we're trying our best to say like, we're a family that walks in freedom Mm -hmm. and that lives as if God really loves us. And Mm -hmm. so we, we build our rhythms and our practices and our habits accordingly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You talk about this in your new book. Mm -hmm. So when we're, when we are working with the kids in our lives, whether you're a parent, aunt, uncle, grandparent, any connection you have to these kiddos, how can we encourage their relationship with God, but not discourage them away from the faith. So much of where we've been when it comes to young people in faith assumed that we needed to tell kids what obedience looked like as Mm -hmm. early as possible and then have them practicing obedient behavior as young as possible. Mm -hmm. And the, the thing we've, started to see more and more as kids raised in that model became teens in that model became adults in that model Mm -hmm. the thing that research keeps speaking to is that process has sort of bypassed kids having the chance to get to know god Mm -hmm. and i think it's a lot more how we would introduce our kids to a person if you've got a friend and you want to introduce a kid in your life to that friend you tell them about them and you tell stories about them and you don't assume they're instantly going to trust them and you hang out together with this new person. Mm -hmm. You give them time and repetition and faith with our kids is I think really similar that we have Mm -hmm. this God we know and we're introducing the kids in our life to that God. Mm -hmm. And we're telling stories of that God, both through scripture and through what we've experienced and what communities of faith have experienced. But we're also recognizing that kids need to, get to know God 
but they need to have the chance to discover that God is trustworthy and, and why that would be. And there's something about how we would be a companion to a kid over that process and over the long haul for it, as opposed to prescribing something for them really quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think the the risk of the prescription is actually very much to your themes. I think kids who have grown up in it will start to tell their stories as what you called obedience locked me into, I better behave or else. Mm-hmm. And that if we consider I'm going to help you meet God, well, then a trustworthy God, I'll shape my life accordingly um, mm-hmm. over time. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of a different paradigm. Yeah, it is. Because I know I found myself like when I was reading through your, your book and I was like, oh man, like it was conviction because I know I've been like that and I've been guilty of that when it comes to my nephews. And, um, so that's, you know, like I said, I want them to love God. I want them to have God in their lives and they're all teenagers right now. So they're at different stages right now. And so it's hard when you look at that and, you know, you remember one who was serving and everything else and now not, and you love the heck out of them. You just want them so badly to do the things. Yes. But you also know, Hey, I was a teenager once I remember, Ooh, wait a minute. I don't want them to do what I did as a teenager either. (laughs) And I don't, I don't want them to get hurt the same way I did when I was a teenager. So it's, it's a really tight line. And I love the one line that you said in your book. And we just talked about that is trust is always the precursor to obedience. The people's obedience is not the first course of action they take, but rather a responsive action based on the determination that yes, Yahweh God of Israel can be trusted. Yeah. So that's like my whole jam. Is mm-hmm. that I think we walk with young people to help them figure out God's trustworthiness. Mm-hmm. And I think the hard part is that it takes longer than we've sometimes been told it takes. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes there are myths around raising young people in faith that make it seem like you really can kind of lock it down by a certain age marker, mm-hmm. that they can make certain kinds of decisions or start putting things into practice at certain points. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, I think a lot more of a jumble of a process for young people. I think there are certain Mm -hmm. things they know a lot. Then adolescence is so much of a time for personal ownership and autonomy. So Mm -hmm. of course they circle back. And of course they sometimes try quitting certain things or doing new things. Mm -hmm. And we thought, oh, but they were doing it when they were 10. Well, 10 year olds are far more developmentally inclined to receive what trusted adults say. Mm -hmm. And that is what is great for a 10 year old. And a teen is meant to be moving into this autonomy, what do I think sort of space. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean they've rejected. It means right. they're like testing out, they're trying. And mm-hmm. one of my professors that I really enjoy is uh, Dr. Chap Clark. And he did a lot of research on young people. And he often talked about the teen years in particular as like a mm-hmm. tightrope. Childhood, kids are climbing the ladder and you can still reach their feet and you can boost them by the waist and you're right there. Yeah. But then teen years, they start crossing a tightrope and all you are is on the ground, like looking up and you can maybe give some advice or some guidance, but there's a lot more of the moving across independently. And, Mm -hmm. and yet the more kids grow, the more having a whole group of adults around them, not just parents, but a whole team of faith cheerleaders Mm 
mm-hmm. while they figure that stuff out, like that's exactly what they need. Not because those faith cheerleaders are being the boss of them, but because they're just there saying like, we're here as you figure out if God can be trusted. Mm-hmm. We'll tell you our stories and we'll walk with you as you do it. And, and if you have questions about whether that's true, we can handle those with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, I think that's brush. right. And I think that's important too for people to realize is that um, God can handle the questions. Yeah, He can handle the card questions. Like we don't have to defend him. Right. And I think that's something that we all, you know, especially we as women, especially, you know, we're people pleasers and all this kind of stuff. And we want everybody to get along and kumbaya and all this kind of stuff. But, and hard questions are not always easy for us to sit in. I mean, sometimes right. they are because some women are a little more empathetic and sympathetic and all those things than some people and some men and stuff. So I think it's just, I think we that's something that we all need to take to God. And we all need right. to ask him to help us not be so quick to offer him our defense and offer others defense of him, but just time and sitting with people as they're going through this. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good word right there. Yeah. 100%. It's, it's hard. It ain't easy people. It is not easy. <laughs> it's not. And it, it points to when it comes to the kids in our lives and the kids in our churches, it makes sense why we got kind of locked into an obedient behavior training kind of paradigm because mm-hmm. adults know that there is wisdom in certain kinds of decisions. We want to prevent certain kinds of painful experiences. Yes. And and at least some part of us is probably at times at least afraid. Mm-hmm. And those are all things that if we can take them to God on behalf of the kids that we get to be connected to as opposed to dumping them on the kid yeah (laughs) which i think is sort of where we sometimes have gone as a collective is Mm -hmm. to make it that the kids need to fix this fear we have or the kids need to um we need to defend god to the kids and the kids need to show us we did it right by then responding appropriately Mm -hmm. but taking that to god because we have a durable faith we do Mm -hmm. we have a durable God for right. these kinds of things. Right. Absolutely. So you said you did your research on faith formation with the Fuller Youth Institute um, when you were in seminary. So what was that like? And we've talked some uh, quite a bit about what we can um, do for our kids, but what did the research teach you and how Um, How do you continue to apply it with your own kids? Yeah, I got involved with a project back in 2007 that ultimately became known as Sticky Faith. And it was youth group kids across their college transition looking for, I mean, originally, if we were honest, we wanted like the magic bullet, Mm -hmm. like what can happen before they go so that they get into adulthood and, you know, faith sticks. Mm -hmm. And there, and there wasn't one. I mean, that is part of what the research showed is there is no magic bullet. And that could be discouraging on the one hand. And on the other hand, I think there's some relief in Mm -hmm. knowing there's no single one thing that you better get it right or else. Mm -hmm. And instead what surfaced out of that research and sort of parallel research spaces that were coming around in the 2010s is that there are themes for young people. Mm -hmm. Like one of them being having a collective of 
adults beyond their generation who are for them and who send yeah. the same kinds of messages to them about important things. Mm -hmm. There are themes like being able to become a participant in our faith story mm -hmm. and not just like an audience member. Mm -hmm. And faith communities do that in all sorts of different and unique ways, depending on their context and their culture. But that idea of a kid getting to start practicing faith in action while not being told that that has to be just right and put it on their do and don't list. Mm -hmm. um, there's a theme that related to understanding the gospel's rich grace mm -hmm. versus accidentally inheriting what Dallas Willard called the gospel of sin management. Mm -hmm. where you actually think what you're supposed to do is here's your to-do list and here's your don't list and manage those lists forever and always. And there's such an important thing to having a gospel that is rooted in the person of Jesus and mm -hmm. the abundant faithfulness and grace of God, mm -hmm. a no matter whatness that young people needed to test out. Well, the great thing about that to me was that all those themes can come to life in like a hundred beautiful ways. And so for our family, a big part of that has been um, figuring out ways for them to like practice serving while like being flexible to who they actually are. Mm -hmm. So we have some folks in our um, church that run a food pantry once a month mm -hmm. and they do happen to have a setup where there are jobs that my kids can actually do that are genuinely helpful. Right. And so they've done that and they've loved that. And there are, really great adults that are consistent in that. So you kind of hit that intergenerational thing too, as they get to know these other folks that are part of it. Mm -hmm. And also we've had some days that they full blown tanked like an hour early and it's fine. And we still go home and we still yeah. get our in and out burger that we always get on the way home. And we talk about the day and we celebrate it because I don't need them to have served just right. Mm -hmm. We're practicing becoming yeah. people who connect with our neighbors in these ways. Mm -hmm. And the conversations we can have in the car to and from about our neighbors, our community, its needs, the complexity of food insecurity, like mm -hmm. those have been great, but, but no part of me sends them a message that it only counts if they like really serve really hard the whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, because that's not what we're going for. We're going for the value of practicing being involved and getting to know people, you know, rep with repetition, consistency is our value. We're not yeah. skipping a, a month, but we're also not going to worry if we got to, if we got to bail a little early because <laughs> they really are eight and 10. Yeah. Um, it's meant that we explore scripture, um, in some ways that are maybe different than what I used to do with the Bible. You know, I was a kid's pastor for a long time. And every time we told Bible stories, we always told kids exactly how to apply that story to their life. I just had that locked and loaded for those kids. And I would tell them exactly what to do tomorrow. And now with my own kids, we're telling stories and they're interrupting 500 times with just the best insights and questions and sometimes mm -hmm. silliness. Yeah. And we're always landing stories now with me saying, okay, so every story tells us something about who God is or what God's like, probably many somethings. what do you guys notice? Mm -hmm. And they're answering that in ways that I sometimes have seen before. And sometimes it's things I haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. My older son at Christmas, at one point, we asked that question and he says, babyish. And I'm like, what do you mean by God is babyish? Um, like, is this the insulting version? Is this the, what are we going with babyish? Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> you know, like God was not just a person, but like a baby person. And mm -hmm. so that would mean that like, they just be totally dependent on like the rest of their family and like have to be cared for and like not be like big powerful God for a while while they were like growing up. 
And it's like, that's a great take on what we always call the incarnation mm-hmm. to connect the idea that God is babyish. And so we're doing that kind of exploring now. And those conversations mm-hmm. have been really fun, mm-hmm. a little unwieldy, but in a good way. <laughs> I think that's interesting because that gives him, that gives them space to figure things out in their own brains. Yeah. Because they don't have the brain of an adult. They're not 25 and have the prefrontal cortex in place. Like they don't have that. They just have where they're at in life. Yeah. So I think that's that's really sweet. And we, um, the church I attend, we just had um, a week or so ago, we just had a women's night where we all got together. We all wore PJs, church appropriate PJs. You know, you just, <laughs> you have to throw that in there a little bit just right, to be honorable. Yep. Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, But we all got together and we had tea style food because we were watching Anna Green Gables and tea and coffee and water and all the things. And the middle school and high school girls were invited to come. And so all of us in certain generations, we're all sitting there because we grew, like we've watched Anna Green Gables. We love it. And these girls are sitting around playing cards. And- Mm. You know, it took, it took a moment because my brain, in my brain, I was like, come on guys, watch the movie, watch the movie, watch the movie. But also then I was like, wait a minute, flip the script. They're here and they're spending time with us as a generation, two generations, three generations ahead of them. They're there to, they're there spending time with us while also being in their own group. And they're still getting something out of the whole situation, even if they're not sitting in the chairs crying or laughing like the rest of us are. Um, So, but it was, it was such a beautiful representation. And we have that in other ways too. Like you were talking about the food pantry. We have a food giveaway that we do every month and um, a clothing drive and, you know, kids get to participate in that and all ages. I mean, we have college age and high school age, and we have all kinds of kids and adults in there serving for that. So it is just, just seeing that as a whole picture, not as of stop talking, stop playing cards, stop doing this and pay attention to the movie, but just being there. And they're, they're still gleaning something from that time together. Yeah, they absolutely are. Right. It's a surprising faith supporter to Mm -hmm. just be part of a community of many generations that enjoy togetherness. Mm -hmm. And if things get boxed in on things that have to be officially spiritual and have to be engaged in just so you miss that all these other things are really significant. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and they look the way they look because young people get to be the age they are exactly. and, And grow and grow as they really are. Right. Cause I think kids are just growing up way too quickly nowadays. Um, there's a lot of kids that aren't getting to be kids. So, yes. and I think that's, that's something we, you know, that's really hard. And mm-hmm. for kids, it's really hard too, because they're not always growing up in ways or in situations that foster that kind of formations, different formations. It's fostering them to hurry up and grow up. Right. So yeah, with everything that you found when you were writing this book and through the research and all of the other things, what advice and encouragement can you give to parents to keep on the road that they're on, 
and or change their focus like some of us have had to. Yeah. I think that most families who are sincerely interested in following Jesus together are probably doing more right than they might give themselves credit for. Mm -hmm. Even if maybe they are thinking they should shift the style or approach or their family faith culture needs some adjustments. And so my advice is to start with your strengths. Mm -hmm. Start with the things that your family genuinely enjoys the most. Start with the practices or rhythms that come easiest to you all. Mm -hmm. There's nothing extra spiritual about picking the hardest ones. Yeah. And if you as a family have been trying something with good intention to create space for God or to follow God in the world, but you're finding it's just so hard, just shift to something, well, as Jesus would say, easier and lighter. Mm -hmm. There are so many beautiful ways to be a family that follows Jesus. And there is no one right way to be a family that follows Jesus. That is for sure played out in the research. Yeah. And so you've got things that are probably coming to y'all almost, I bet, so easy that you don't even think they count. Mm -hmm. And to step back and say, no, I bet this counts. I bet this is doing something good for us. And mm -hmm. um, not to give yourself credit in some sort of um, right. pride way, but to notice what the spirit of God has done within your family or with the kids that are in your life. Yeah. Um, and and then I think you can build on those good things. It, it doesn't have to be, I think, as hard as it's been made out to be, even mm -hmm. though it's so important. Right. It's so important, but it doesn't have to feel so hard. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that would be my encouragement as I bet you have things you're doing well and you should give yourself credit and be grateful for the things that God has put in your family's life that are going well and then hang on to those, build on those. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes if a family isn't sure what to do next when it comes to their family faith culture, one of the best questions can be like, what sounds fun? Mm -hmm. Like, What sounds fun? Because God is with us and God is joyful and God is bringing freedom. And so starting there and saying, it would be really fun to finish that sentence and see if there's some way to go from there. Mm -hmm. um, we had a season where we needed to get outside more. And what sounded fun was finding some place to play. Mm -hmm. And we have two churches in town with uh, outdoor prayer labyrinths that are available for the community. Mm -hmm. So there was a while where what sounded fun was I'd say, hey, we're going to go do Bible story time at the labyrinth. And my kids would be like, okay. And they'd run amok in that thing. I mean, it, it looked irreverent to the naked eye, but it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And then we would tell one Bible story in five minutes. And I would teach them how to do the labyrinth for real for less than five minutes and we'd sort of pray together on a walk through it and there was a Starbucks across the street and we would go get Starbucks. And that rhythm was the funnest way to explore scripture and practice praying in a new way. Mm -hmm. And that was for a season and then that season ended, but it was like, what sounds fun? Mm -hmm. Wrangling you in my living room does not sound fun right now. Mm -hmm. Getting outside somewhere you've never been that you'll think is fun and almost like a maze. That sounds fun. Let's go try that. Mm -hmm. what happens. So that's what I would say. That sounds fun. So I just have two final questions for you. Um, yeah. One thing that I ask everyone, uh, when you've gone through times where you've questioned and just rough times, what verse or verses have kept you anchored? I love Hebrews 12 too. Mm -hmm. It says, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who mm -hmm. for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
And I loved the idea of Jesus's ability to have foresight towards joy. Mm-hmm. That like that is where we're headed, even when things are often very sorrowful or full of grief. And I love the line of scorning shame that mm-hmm. our God went through an experience of being deeply shamed and scorned it. That if shame has what is what has gotten me stuck, the power of God is to scorn that and bring uh, healing and wholeness again. Um, I love that one. Oh, amen. Absolutely. And where can people find you? Where can they get your book? So the book is called Woven, Nurturing a Faith Your Kid Doesn't Have to Heal From. It's available wherever books are sold. I mainly write on Instagram. I love Mm -hmm. that it is short and free. And Mm -hmm. so I'm there as Meredith Ann Miller. And then I do have a website that's also MeredithAnnMiller.com where I send out a newsletter once a month with things that need a little more nuance and unpacking than a little post can have. Mm -hmm. Um, The book link is there and that kind of stuff. I will put links to all of that in today's show notes. Meredith, thank you so much for hanging out with me today, for chatting with my listeners. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun to talk. Absolutely. And guys, I'll talk to you next episode. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. I pray that each of you will take something from this episode, that you will be challenged, that you will be encouraged in your walk with God. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave a five-star rating and review so that other people can find this and other people can listen to the stories of God's redemption. I love you guys, and I'll talk to you next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app.